If there's any one person that was responsible for me to come, me coming to Wisconsin, it'd be Brother David Fuller. He was pastoring in Clintonville at the time. I came up and preached a revival for Brother and Sister Fuller. Uh, he had uh, gone to ABI and met Sister Fuller. She's from Rice Lake. And uh, <clears throat> he took the church in Clintonville, and we came and preached a revival. And at that time, we began to pray about Shano, and we moved in January of 1968 to Shano. Now, we got to Shano, and we just got settled good when they moved back to Texas. <laughs> And, of course, the thing about it is uh, they moved to Trinity, Texas. Now, that really sounds like a great place for an apostolic one-God person to be pastoring. <clears throat> but uh, he ended up a little while later moving to Cushion and pastoring the church that we left. So <laughs> uh, we've, we've had many, many great times together, great times together, uh, fun times around the table uh, Sister Fuller has been the brunt of our jokes so many, many times. Sister Fuller's mother uh, told uh, Brother Fuller and I one time at the supper table, she said, you know, when you two get together, she said, you, you're so crazy. And the thing about it is, she says, I listened carefully. Now, she was from Rice Lake. She says, I cannot understand one word you're saying. <laughs> you're so Southern, she said. <laughs> But we had some great times together, the loss of Brother Fuller's son, Brother and Sister Fuller's son, in a car accident, put us real close together with a lot of tears. And, of course, the passing of our son, Steve, was so comforting to have Brother and Sister Fuller. And knowing that they were praying for us, they were not able to come up at the time. Brother Fuller was actually on his way when I went to the university hospital a couple of days for testing. And uh, he was turned back. I called him. I said, Brother Fuller, I'm going to be in the hospital while you're here. So I, I, I love this man dearly. Uh, he is a very, very precious friend of mine. I'd like for Brother David Fuller come to the pulpit and take his liberty to preach to us the word of the Lord. Let's give him a great big Madison welcome. Would you do that? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. So good to be here tonight in the house of the Lord. I've enjoyed the beautiful singing and the worship unto the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. The presence of the Lord is here in such a wonderful way. And uh, I know because he came with us and he's already here when we got here. Praise the Lord. Amen. So it's such a privilege to be here. Such a beautiful building. This is our first time to be in this building where we're in the other part. But this is our first opportunity we've had to be here with uh, Brother Sister Grant. And this, uh, since you built this, it's so very, very nice. I know you're thankful for it. And and it uh, looks like it just about filled it up. Praise the Lord. Midweek service. When a lot of churches are not having midweek service anymore. Not even having Sunday night service. So you're, you're doing great. Praise the Lord. Uh, but the greater things in store. As Brother Grant mentioned... Uh, we have uh, been close for a long time. Now, he failed to mention that he's older than I am. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably right there. He's probably right. Amen. But they've been so uh, close to us and our families, my wife and our children, their children. And uh, they were so kind to come down several years ago when we lost our oldest son, automobile accident. We wanted to be here so very badly, and uh, as he mentioned, we're, I was on the way up, but uh, due to circumstances, well, uh, didn't come, but our prayers were with them and with you, and uh, we know that God's grace is sufficient for every need. Amen. Uh, Pastor Grant is a noted Bible teacher and leader, uh, not only in the state of Wisconsin, but around the world. And uh, I'm greatly blessed to have him as my very, very dear friend. Amen. It's good to have friends, you know. Lifelong friends. My father used to say, if you have friends, you're rich. Well, I, I'm very rich because such good friend. 
It's been an inspiration to me. I remember a few years ago, it was a very, very difficult situation. Uh, I was pastoring a church at that time, and a very uh, difficult task was ahead of me, and I dreaded it. It was going to take months to do this task that had to be done. I kept putting it off, putting it off. And, you know, it was still there, staring me in the face every day, but I was putting it off, putting it off. And one day I was praying, and it seemed like it came to me now, if this was your friend, he would have already done this and had it over with. So I got busy, and it wasn't near as difficult as I thought and dreaded it to be, which is usually the case. Amen. We were excited to be here. Amen. The great work that Brother and Sister Grant and their family have done and all this fabulous team that he has assembled and God has brought together, Calvary Gospel Church, to serve you and this new century, new millennium. Thank God. God has brought us to this point, and we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I believe the greatest chapter of the history of the church is yet to be written and is just, just before us. I believe the heavens are about to break open and rain down upon the earth one last great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And all of these things that we're seeing happening in this world and our nation today is, is, is building up and leading to what God wants to do. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be reading tonight from the uh, Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, and uh, verse 21 through verse 35. That's the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 21 through verse 35. We've been excited about sometime about coming been praying that God would just meet with us and pour out His Spirit in a marvelous way, and I know that He will, because He's a God that answers prayer. Amen. Matthew 18 and verse 21. It's quite a lengthy reading, but I feel it necessary to read down to the end of this chapter. Um, and be patient tonight, because it's going to take a while to lay a foundation for this message. And you may think I'm just rambling and uh, have no purpose, but if you'll stay with it, all the pieces are going to fit together when we get to the end, and uh, I'm excited to see what the Lord would do uh, at the end of this service, when we come to the altar service. So try to be patient and listen carefully, because when we do get to the end part of it, I believe God's Spirit is going to touch our hearts. Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take an account of his servants. When he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents." For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But... The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. His fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He would not, but when cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due to him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. 
I'm going to talk tonight about the healing power of forgiveness. And I believe God's going to heal some people here tonight. Praise the Lord. Let's thank God for His Word and what He's going to do. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Father, we thank you, God, thank for your you, Spirit, Father, for your Lord presence, Jesus, O Lord. Hallelujah, right Lord. Thank you, God, for the Holy presence right of the Lord. Jesus Glory to God. Praise Glory the name of the Lord. Power, Lord, may your Spirit through. touch every heart. Heal people who are hurting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Jesus was talking to his disciples in the 18th chapter of Matthew, and he was talking about forgiveness and restoration and restoring fellowship and restoring relationships. Peter was a disciple that was never at a loss for words, and he wanted to show the Lord what a good student he was and how he had understood and he grasped this lesson that Jesus was trying to talk on forgiveness. And he said, Lord, shall I forgive my brother that sins against me seven times? And I can just kind of see a mental picture of Peter kind of in his mind. He's patting himself on the back and saying, see, Lord, I'm willing to forgive a lot. I know you're going to put a gold star by my name and you've passed the course, Peter, but Jesus shocked him when he said, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, showing us a continuation to forgive. As long as offenses come, we're to continue to forgive. We're not to keep a record. Now, some people say, you know, well, I believe that means, you know, when somebody, you can keep a record of it, and somebody says 489 times, and you go to them and say, bud, you got one more. I've been patient with you, and I'll forgive you one more time, but after that, I'm coming after you. No, that's not what the Lord was trying to convey to us, that we continue to forgive. And, you know, we think sometimes, well, the thing that I suffered was so terrible that the person that offended me, they don't deserve to be forgiven. They're not worthy of forgiveness. Well, we must remember two things there. First of all, neither were we worthy to be forgiven when we came to the Lord. And also, we must remember that forgiveness that you extend to someone does not help that person that you forgive near as it much as it helps you. You're the one that benefits from forgiving. And so, Jesus, you know, he didn't give his disciples time to argue or anything. Being the great storyteller uh, that he was and the great teacher that he was, he told a parable. He said, there was a certain king who called an account of his servants. And he said, there was one man who call, was called in and owed 10,000 talents. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that's a lot of money. Do you know how much money that is? That's approximately $7 million, maybe as much as $50 million. It's a lot of money. Well, you know, this fellow probably stayed awake at night. He was worrying about this debt that he couldn't pay. He knew the consequences of owing such a debt. It accumulated over the years. And he was expecting any time a knock to come on his door and soldiers to be there and say, the king wants to be you. Let's see you. Let's go to the palace. And he knew what it would be all about. The books would be opened and, and payment demanded uh, to be made. And he had nothing to pay the debt. With. So he knew he'd be sold as a slave. His wife would be taken from him and sold as a slave. All his children would be auctioned off as slaves. His property, everything that he owned would be sold. He knew that was coming. He had nothing to pay that debt with. Sure enough, one day the knock came on the door. The king wants to see you. So he brought him in before the king. The king opened the books. said, see you owe quite a debt. Several million dollars here. And you must pay the debt in full now. And the man didn't have one cent to pay on the debt. Not one cent. He did the only thing he could do. He fell at his feet and he, and he worshiped. And he said, Lord, please be patient with me. And I'll, I'll pay this debt. I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll do the best I can. And, and the Bible said the Lord was moved with compassion toward this man. And he released him from his debt and forgave him. You know, can you imagine how free that man must have felt? When all of a sudden, this weight of debt was lifted from him, and he did not have to worry about paying that debt, several million dollars. He could go home 
Not worry about being sold as a slave, his wife taken from his children and his house and all the possessions. He could enjoy life now, not worrying about this terrible debt that was hanging over his head. Man, he probably left there whistling a tune, a smile on his face. Man, the, the birds sang prettier and, and the sky was bluer. He was feeling so good and so wonderful until he remembered something. And suddenly all the joy of a millions of dollars worth of debt being forgiven, that joy was gone when he remembered somebody owed him a hundred pence. Do you know how much a hundred pence is? It's about $15. The man couldn't enjoy a debt being forgiven him amounting to several million when somebody owed him 15 bucks. Now, I'm sure that you've already figured out who these characters in this, story, in this parable represent. Of course, the king represents God. I'm the person that owed the debt of millions of dollars. And so were you. The debt was our sin. It was hanging over our head. I was like this man in the story. I would go to bed at night worrying about dying. Jesus coming for his people. I wasn't prepared. Hell, judgment, the lake of fire. I wasn't ready. The debt had to be paid. I couldn't pay it. I came into the presence of the Lord one time, asked him to forgive me of my sins. And he forgave me, saved me, filled me with the Holy Ghost. And the debt was gone. Aren't you thankful that the debt has been forgiven? Praise the Lord. The debt has been canceled. Praise the Lord. No longer do I have to worry about hell and judgment and all those things because I'm forgiven. He saved me. Obeyed the gospel. And if you've never had that experience, oh, what a wonderful experience waits you tonight when you can come to have the old account of sin settled and the debt paid by the blood of Jesus Christ that he forgives you and washes you. You can be baptized in his name and filled with his spirit. Praise the Lord. But that man is like a lot of people. He couldn't enjoy this very long. He was constantly reminded of a little debt that was owed to him. Didn't amount to a whole lot, but he could, just couldn't get over it. You know, there's a lot of people who can't enjoy serving the Lord. They can't enjoy having their name written in heaven. They can't enjoy being a Christian because somebody owes them a debt. And they're waiting to be paid. He went and looked this man up. I'll go collect. That's what I'll do. I'll collect my $15. And he searched for the man. He said, I've come to get my money. $15. I want it all now. The man did the same thing that he did. He fell at his feet and said, please, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. No. He took him by the neck, and he said, you're going to go to jail. if You can't pay this debt. And he had the man put in jail. And the Bible says that they went and told the king, all that was done. And the Bible says in verse 34, And the Lord was wroth, delivered him to the tormentors. Do you know what makes God angry? We think sometimes about terrible, gross sins. And sure, God is displeased with that. But did you know, according to verse 34, if we have unforgiveness in our heart, that it makes the Lord angry. And you know what the Bible says? In verse 32, he called a man a wicked servant. A wicked servant. Now, what had the man done? Had he stolen, cheated, lied, killed, committed adultery? No, he hadn't done any of those things. He simply wanted somebody to pay him an honest debt. Was it not an honest debt? Sure. Did he have a right to be paid? Sure. Well, what's the problem? The problem was the man was the recipient of great and abundant mercy, and he could not give a little mercy. And that man is like we are when we fail to forgive people who wrong us. You know, how could someone do that? Be forgiven a debt in the millions and cannot overlook $15. You know, it's amazing sometimes how self-righteous sometimes we become 
when we've been forgiven so much and we cannot forgive a little. That's a sign of self-righteousness. And the Bible says he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay the debt. The Jerusalem Bible says he turned him over to the torturers. Another translation says the king was angry and sent him to prison. Now who are the torturers? Who are the jailers that we're turned over to when we do not forgive? The Lord said, so shall my heavenly Father do to you if you from your hearts don't forgive. I don't believe he was talking about hell or the lake of fire. I believe he was talking about torturers. Who are these torturers? I'll tell you who they are. Worry, fear, anxiety, resentment, jealousy, depression. There are many people tonight living in a spiritual and emotional prison that they can't get free. Why? Because they have the key to get out, and the only one that can get them out is they themselves. Jesus said, you will live in this prison until you forgive from the heart those that have sinned against you. Now, there's a book written by Dr. S. I. McMillan called None of These Diseases. According to medical science research, most of the sicknesses that we suffer in our body is a result of emotional things like fear, anger, depression and prolonged grief. All these things torture us and extract a great toll upon us emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And some people even lose out with the Lord. The doctor said in his book that when a person becomes very angry or uh, lives in a state of envy or jealousy, that released into his body are certain enzymes that are poisonous to the system that can take health away from a, a person's physical body. Does the Bible address this subject? Yes, it does. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. And Proverbs 14 and 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. The contemporary English version of that verse says, It's healthy to be content but envy eats you up. The New Living Translation says, A relaxed attitude lengthens life. Jealousy rots it away. Notice Proverbs 17 and 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Job 5 verse 2. For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. So the Bible tells us that it's damaging to us, not just spiritually, which is, is the greatest damage, but physically and emotionally. You see, we must choose our response when somebody... It's not if we're done wrong, it's when you're done wrong. Jesus said offenses will come. People are going to do things or say things to you that are going to be offensive, but you don't have to be offended. You can choose your response. People are going, it may be a, a, a spouse, it might be a father or mother, it might be uh, an employer, it might be a neighbor, but there are people who are going to do you wrong. What is going to be your response? You have a responsibility. You break down the, the word responsibility it means in the simplest form, the ability to respond. You choose your own response. The man gets angry, and he slams the car door and spins tires on the pavement. Why did you do that? Well, my wife made me angry. No, you did it because that was your choice. The wife slams the cupboard and dishes break. Why did you do that? My husband made me angry. No, you chose that response. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. You see, anger is a choice. Love is a choice. Hate is a choice. Jesus said, love your neighbor. You choose your response. Don't let anybody else, don't let anyone else control your emotions. There was a great man once named Booker T. Washington who was asked on one occasion, Booker T. Washington, you seem to be a man that's at ease. You harbor no ill will. 
or anger, animosity toward anyone, yet you've been the victim of prejudice and you've never been fully recognized for all your achievements because of the color of your skin. What is the secret, Booker T. Washington, to your peace of mind? And he said something's very profound, and I quote him. He said, I refuse to allow any man to reduce my soul to the level of hatred. I'm not going to let you make me hate you, he said. I'm going to control my own emotions. You're not going to control my emotions. Do you know some people give other people control over their emotions? And what other people do determines their state in life. And some people say, you know, I can't be happy until somebody apologizes. I can't be happy until somebody makes a wrong right. Well, then you know, you may never be happy. If you give other people that power over your life and they are the determining factor, whether you're going to have peace of mind or happiness or not, you probably won't ever be happy in this world. But we must learn to be at peace and happy regardless of what people say or do to us. Why? Well, because we choose our response and we forgive. Jesus said, offenses are going to come, but you don't have to be offended. Now, one of the signs then time, if you look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Now, in my study then time, I like to study Bible prophecy. And your pastor and I, we spent many hours talking about prophecy and other great themes of the Bible. And I had studied about, you know, and we're seeing a lot of signs then time right now. I believe all that's happening, you know, Afghanistan, the Twin Towers, and all these things that have happened to our nation is happening right now. The call for the Palestinian state by our nation and uh, uh, Israel, the call for... Jerusalem to be an international city controlled by the UN. All of these, Zechariah 12, 2 and 3, all of these are fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Daniel eleven thirty nine, 39, and many other scriptures talking about dividing the land. But as I searched the Bible for signs of the end time, I had overlooked very, one very important sign. When Jesus is discussing in Matthew 24, this is called uh, the, the Olivet Discourse, which was uh, about the future things, what, what the future, the signs of his coming is going to be. Along with all these things, notice what Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 10. And then many shall be offended. I don't believe that Jesus was talking about the ungodly. I believe he was talking about his own people, God's own children, who would be so hindered by offenses that their victory and joy would be taken from them, and they would live in a spiritual and emotional prison. And remember, you have the key to get out of that jail. In the Word of the Lord, there are many, many things. In the, in the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, we have a very interesting story of Stephen. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, I, I think about Jesus on the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. Well, some people say, well, you know, that was Jesus. You can't. He was God manifest in the flesh. Well, look, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being stoned to death, the Bible says, what, did, what was Stephen's response? He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. I don't see where these people are throwing their stone at, at, at Stephen. Saying, oh, Stephen, we really feel bad, but we've got to do this to you, son. Man, it really breaks our heart. Would you forgive us? No, they weren't doing that. The Bible said they were raging on him, gnashing on their teeth. That means they were, they, were, they were saying terrible things to him, throwing those stones at him. But here he was in the face of hatred. He's praying for those who are doing him wrong, doing like Jesus said, pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for do good and don't return uh, e don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil. That's what the Lord said. Why? Because a person is worthy? No, because I need to do that. My own peace of mind. My own spiritual well-being. My wife was teaching a Sunday school class several years ago, junior boys, guys at age 10 to 12, and uh, she was going to illustrate the lesson. And she had the oldest kid, the biggest kid in the class, it was going to be Stephen. And she brought paper wads, wadded up, this is going to be the stones. And the smaller boys in the class is going to stone Stephen. Everything went pretty well. While they were stoning him, I don't know what happened. She didn't really know what happened. But maybe they were laughing at him, making fun of him, or throwing him too hard. But after a while, Stephen got up and he started throwing the stones back at him. 
That's not how the Bible tells it, is it? He prayed for them, but that's the way we do, isn't it? Many times, that's what we do. Now, what was the disciples' response when Jesus said, you must forgive? Not seven times, 70 times seven. What was their response? Now, understand, and look at Luke 17, 5 to get the answer. Now, understand, when Jesus walked on the water, when Jesus opened blind eyes and stopped deaf ears, when Jesus did all these great signs and wonders, not one time did the disciples ever ask for their faith to be increased. But however, when Jesus said, how often we must forgive, the disciples' response was, Lord, increase our faith. I don't have enough faith to do that. Forgive 70 times 7? Oh, I don't think so. Increase my faith. I can't do it. They recognize the ability to do that was beyond themselves. So we must recognize we need God's help to be able to forgive people who are not worthy of forgiveness. We need God's help. Increase our faith. We think sometimes the test of our faith is, uh, is you know, being faithful to church and all those, and that, that, that is a good thing, a good habit to do. But the real test of our faith is how much can we forgive? How much can we forgive? I'd like for you to turn to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. It's a great prophetic chapter. I remember memorizing this chapter, and I quoted it many, many times, but I didn't really realize what it said until suddenly one day it dawned on me what was being said. It's talking about Jesus and the prophets writing about Jesus like he had already lived, yet it was 700 years before the Lord came. And he said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I thought it was my sins he took. Well, we know that. He did. He did that. That's number one. But did you know that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows? Jesus bore your sorrows? Jesus bore your griefs in order that you could be healed. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. We all have heard that preach. He was bruised for our iniquities. We heard that preach. Thank God for it. That is the central part of the gospel where Jesus shed his blood that we could be forgiven, that we could be saved. And the last part of that verse, with his stripes we're healed. We all know that we can be healed physically in our bodies when we're sick, but I had never noticed the middle part of verse 5, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Peace of mind. Did you know a lot of Christians don't have peace of mind? They may have been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. They may pay tithe, attend church, but they wonder why they don't have peace of mind. Look at Luke chapter 4 verse 18. I believe this was Jesus' mission statement. Jesus was giving us, uh, laying out what his life work was going to be. This was very early in his ministry. In fact, it was the beginning of his ministry. He said, Luke four eighteen, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And we rejoice over that, and we should. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. I never heard that preached before. But heal the broken hearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. You see, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you'll be held in a jail. But the Lord will bring deliverance to you, recovering the sight to the blind, set at liberty to them that bruise. You see, when we are hurt emotionally, physically, and there are many emotional hurts in our world, in our nation, it's said that it used to be one in six, now they reduced it to one in five, and some even say one in four. Girls will be molested by their 18th birthday in this nation. That's just the tip of the iceberg of many emotional scars that people bear. Terrible, terrible things that happen to them. Some people are abused physically as children growing up, and they've borne these scars for their life. You see, recovery of the sight to the blind. So delivered them to bruise. What happens when we're offended and we don't forgive? Our vision becomes marred. People make wrong decisions when they're offended because they can't see. They don't have to. He's not talking about this so much about these eyes here. He, he's talking about our spiritual discernment. Oh, I'm wrong. I'm going, I'm going to go. I, I'll get a divorce. I, I, I've been wronged. I'm going to get revenge. What is happening? 
Our spiritual perception, our spiritual understanding, our spiritual vision has been hindered. And the Bible says he's going to restore the vision to people, recover the sight. They had sight once, but now they can't see. Well, there are a lot of people that used to serve the Lord don't serve God anymore because they made some wrong choices. Why did they make wrong choices? Because they couldn't see, they couldn't understand. And so they made these bad choices. And the Lord wants to heal. He certainly does. Now, notice Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. It's very significant how the Old Testament ends here. The last, the very last two verses of the Old Testament, while you're turning there, Jesus said, I've come that you could have life and have it more abundantly. He doesn't want us just to be saved. He wants us to have abundant joy. You know, some people think Christians have got to go around always sad and long-faced. But, you know, the Lord wants us to enjoy life. I believe you ought to be the happiest person, the most contented person on your job. I believe Christian students in school should be the most peaceful, contented students that they that they are in the school. I I believe we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth, because Jesus said, "I've come that you could have joy, and that your joy could be full." But some people's joy is gone. Why? Because they've been wronged. They have been wronged. It's very significant how the Old Testament ends. Notice Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Jesus said, or the Lord said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I believe that most prophecies have a literal fulfillment and also have a spiritual fulfillment. Now, I don't want to get too much into the realm of, uh, uh, of Bible prophecy as far as future things concerning the nation of Israel. That would be a different subject. I believe that there is coming a ministry of Elijah to that nation and to the world. However, I believe there's also a spiritual application here. I believe that God is putting an Elijah ministry into the body of Christ. I believe God is putting a prophetic ministry into the body of Christ. Now, what is going to be the focal point of this prophetic ministry that God wants to put in the church? Today, some people say it's healing and miracles. Thank God for healing and miracles. That's a very important part. But that's not the focal point of this prophetic ministry God wants to put in the church. Some people say, well, it, it must be telling the future, telling uh, what's going to be out there, what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, all those things. Well, that might be involved. Remember, John the Baptist, Jesus said he, he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. John never did one miracle that we know of. Yet Jesus said he was the greatest of all prophets. Well, then, if it's not miracles, if it's not signs and wonders, if it's not telling the future, then what is the, the prophetic ministry that God wants to put into the church and God wants to put in the body of Christ? The last verse of the Old Testament tells us, he shall turn the heart of the children to the fathers and the heart of the, the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. A healing of relationships, reconciliation, that's what God wants to put into the church. And notice how the last words of the Old Testament are, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And the Bible is silent for 400 years until John the Baptist appears in the book of Matthew. Now, why does the Old Testament end that way? I want to tell you something. I believe that all these terrible earthquakes and volcanoes and, and typhoons and hurricanes that is coming upon, and fires and all these things are coming upon the earth, I believe the earth is already being smitten with the curse of God, judgment of God. I believe it revolves around authority. See, authority, we see the abuse of authority, and we see the rebellion against authority. Kids rebelling against their parents, leaving home, getting on drugs, drinking, living immorally. That's rebelling against authority. Abusive authority is a neglect of children, uh, chastisement or punishment that is not administered in love, not to correct, but to, to punish and to hurt. The abuse of authority, and the Lord said, these things are in the earth, and these relationships have been, have been severed, and there, there has been division. And the Lord said, unless... If there is a healing, I will smite the earth with a curse. You see, division and separation, all of these things grieve the heart of God. Because the Lord said He came to have peace. Give peace. You take the word vision, division is divided vision. Vision Univision, single vision. God has come to heal. Amen. Would you turn with me to 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 17. While you're turning there, I want to tell you, and I believe this church is involved. Pastors tell me about some things the ministries the church is involved in. I believe tonight the church that ministers to the needs and the hurts of their community, that people will be the path to their door because they're trying to find help. People don't know where to go to get help. It's time about all these people want to come to this program that someone's a minister's teaching this, this church. It's going to take 33 at a time, but they allow come. all of them want to come. Praise God for that. Why is that? Because they heard there's help here. They heard that there's healing here. There is a prophetic ministry alive in this church. God has put an Elijah ministry on this church. Hallelujah. Of healing people, of restoring lives. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 17. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now we all shout over that scripture. That's great. That's wonderful. But let's read on. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. We've got to be diligent about this. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, if you know how that afterward he would have inherited the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The Lord said here that people would fail the grace of God. Why? Through a root of bitterness. Bitterness, first of all, will spring up, and it will trouble you. Bitterness troubles people. If you don't take care of it, it will defile you. It starts out troubling and ends up defiling. There are a lot of people who have been troubled by bitterness, and they're about to be defiled. And the Lord doesn't want that to happen. Well, now, why, why concentrate on these emotional things like, like bitterness? Well, look at the next part of that. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator, like Esau. Before Esau was a fornicator, he was a bitter person. So, fornication, adultery... Many times it's a result of bitterness in a person's heart, and a person's life. He said, many will be defiled. Who are these many that's going to be defiled? Matthew 24, verse 10. Jesus said, in that day, the last day, the day you're, you and I are living in right now, today, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, in that day, many will be, de- many will be offended. And if they're not overcome, do not overcome their offense, being offended, then they will be defiled. The same, I believe it's the same group he's talking about here. And... And uh, Luke, or excuse me, Hebrews twelve fifteen, as Jesus spoke about in Matthew twenty four verse ten. Notice first of all, bitterness is a root. A root is something you can't see, but you leave that root alone, it's going to spring up. And the Bible says bitterness will spring up, and there there is fruit of bitterness. You see, a root will produce fruit unless you pull it out of the ground. Now, what is the fruit of the root of bitterness? Tell you what it is: it's anger. Resentment, depression, anger, resentment. See, the, the psychologists will tell you what the, the steps to depression. I'm not talking about the chemical cause of de- depression. Many people's depression is starts out anger. Anger builds up into resentment. Resentment builds up into bitterness. And bitterness leads to depression. That's what the psychologists tell. There's many cause case of many uh, people that are depressed. In fact, depression, they say, many cases is internalized anger. You see, there are people who get angry and they curse and swear or slam the doors and break things. That's externalized anger. Some people don't know how to deal with anger. They internalize it. It's masked sometimes as hurt feelings. I'm just hurt. It's internalized anger. Anger has never been dealt with. The best thing they say to do about your anger is talk it out with somebody. The best one I know to talk it out with and won't hold it against you is Jesus. Amen. Just tell him about your anger. Praise the Lord. And don't let it seethe inside of you. Don't let it get to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I believe there is a revival waiting to be birthed when God's people begin to be more like the Lord. Mahatma Gandhi, the great Hindu guru, he made a study of Christianity, and this is what Gandhi said. He said, I was ready to become a Christian until I met one. He said, if Christians would live more like Jesus, they could win the world. What was he talking about? 
He's talking about forgiving. Forgiving people who wronged you. Now, the world's response, so I, I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's the truth. You know, when Christian people are offended, in most cases, they don't react too much differently from people that don't know the Lord. Their reaction is pretty. But Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. Not how much we talk in tongues. Thank God for speaking in tongues. Not that you lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Thank God for that. But he said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That's what the Lord said. A number of years ago, phone rang at the church where I was a pastor. A lady I never met before on the other end of the line. She said, I need to talk with someone. Can I come by and talk with you? I just got off the radio preaching message on the radio. And uh, she came by the office there. Never met the lady in my life. Come to find out. She was a spirit-filled Catholic lady. She had been filled with the Holy Ghost, was, was raised as a Catholic, still attended Catholic Church. And uh, as we spoke there, come to find out her father was Catholic, her mother was Jewish. And she said, I, I've been, I'm a Christian. She said, but I've been filled with the Spirit. I speak with tongues, but I have depression. And she said, I'm on, I'm on medication, prescription drugs for my depression. She said, it worked for a while, but now I, I'm, I'm back in a depressed state. The, the, the prescription doesn't help me anymore. And while we're talking there, the lady began to talk to me, unrelated in her mind to what she had been telling me about her depression, was a, a story of her life. She said, my mother never showed me any love when I was growing up. My mother didn't abuse me, but my mother neglected to tell me that she loved me. She never neglected love. She said, I never remember one time my mother ever telling me, I love you. I love you. And she said, you know, I haven't spoken to my mother in years. We don't have any kind of relationship. I haven't talked to her in years. And then she went back talking about her depression. And then she looked at me across the desk and said, can you please? What did I tell you to do? She said, what is that? I said, according to Jesus, you must forgive your mother. You must write her, call her, go see her. Say, mother, I forgive you. Will you forgive me of this bitterness I've had towards you? The lady didn't like what I had to say. She got up and walked out. Why, I'm the child. My mother ought to be the one reconciling. And that brings another point. Who reconciles? Who initiates reconciliation? I used to think the strongest one in a relationship was one that could articulate their point of view the best. Man, they could debate and argue. I thought, man, that must be the strongest one. It's not truth. I'll tell you the strongest one in a relationship is this, is the one who initiates reconciliation. You know, there's some people that are right in principle but wrong in spirit. Well, I'm standing for the right thing. Well, you might be, but is your spirit right? So we need to have a right principle, and we need to have a right spirit. Well, this lady stormed out of my office. She was was quite an outspoken lady, and I I never knew if I was going to see her again my my whole life. But she showed up next service, midweek service. She walked in the door, and she walked down the aisle. About two-thirds away, sat down. We were already in the sur- And I looked at this lady. I knew what had happened. She did not tell me a word. I had seen her a few days before, looked in her eyes. It was depression. I looked and saw a lady just glowing with the peace of God. And, and, and she, she couldn't wait. I, I didn't get a chance to leave the platform. She rushed up to the platform after service. And she said, Pastor, I've got to tell you what happened. I knew what had happened, but I let her tell me. She said, I call my mother. And she said, I, I said, Mother, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? for this bitterness and resentment I've had towards you. And she said, I want you to know I've been sleeping well at night ever since I did that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But as Paul Harvey says, let me tell you the rest of the story. That's not the end of the story. I baptized this lady. She became a member of a church that I pastored. I baptized her two sons, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I baptized her husband. And he became filled with the Holy Ghost. All these people became members of the church. And the best of the story is her Jewish mother came to church. And I baptized her. And she was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she became a member of my church. Praise the Lord. Why? Because somebody said, I will make the first move. Somebody said, I may be right, but I'm not going to wait for the person who's wrong to make things right, I'm going to make them right. Amen. You see, there are times in our life we've been right in that principle, but wrong in attitude, not happy in our spirit, because wait for somebody else to make something right. You know what Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
one of the one of the gospels is either Luke or Matthew, I forget which he, he says like this with the word trespasses, he says debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What is a sin? It's a debt against God that we owe him. What are offenses? It's debts against us that people owe us. We must forgive. If they never ask for forgiveness, we must forgive. Amen. So a lady came into my office a few years ago. The year was 1993. She too had a problem with depression. She sat across my desk. She had been in the church about three years. Struggled with cigarettes. Couldn't quit smoking. Smoked about two packs a day. Sitting across. She wasn't talking about cigarettes. She knew I knew she had a problem. She wasn't trying to hide it. I'd pray. She'd ask for prayer. Fasted and all that. And she's sitting there talking about her depression. And, and, and she too... Uh, began to talk about her childhood and not really related in her mind. She didn't think it had anything to do with what she's talking about, but somehow she's got off into it. She said, you know, when I was 14 years old, she said, my mother slapped me and told me she hated me and told me she wished I'd never been born. And my own mother, she said, pushed me into the bathroom and opened the medicine cabinet and said, here, won't you take all these pills in this, cab- in this cabinet and die and get out of my life. She said, I left home when I was 14 years old. And suddenly the Lord spoke to me. And I said, Sister, you're, you're not bound by tobacco. She looked at me like I'd slapped her. She said, What did you say? I said, You're not bound by nicotine. And I knew what she was thinking. I didn't come here to talk about smoking. I came here to talk about my depression. She said, What do you mean I'm not bound? She said, You know, you've prayed for me. I've gone on fast. And never, every minister comes through here and preaches. I, I pull them aside and ask them to pray for them. I can be delivered. I smoke two packs a day. I'm 28. I started when I was 14. I am bound by tobacco. I said, no. You are emotionally dependent upon that. When you get full of anxiety, what do you do? You reach for a cigarette. When you get depressed, what do you do? Reach for a cigarette. You know, I used to be the type of guy didn't have a whole lot of patience with, <laughs> with alcoholics and people bound by tobacco People bound on drugs. I, I thought, man, they could get free if they wanted to, or homosexuals or whatever. I didn't have a whole lot of patience with people like that until I began to realize, and the Lord began to talk to me and let me see that many of these people are people who have been offended and hurt. They have been crushed in their spirit, and they don't know where to go to find help. So they reach for, for liquor, or they reach for, for drugs, uh, they, they reach for, uh, for illicit relationships, or uh, they go into perversion. What are they they're trying to do? They're trying to find something that will help stop the hurting. And they don't know where to go. Thank the Lord there's a church in Madison that they can come to. Praise the Lord. And find healing. And find help. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, let's praise Him, and I feel the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I said to this lady, I said, you will be free of your tobacco. I said, that's an emotional crutch, and you're not going to need it when you're healed on the inside. I said, when you forgive your mother, and God heals you, you're not going to need cigarettes anymore. I led her through a little prayer. Lord, you see how I was wrong. My mother hurt me. But I read in the Word of God where I can cast my care upon you. And Jesus, I put my care upon, I put my hurt upon you because you bore my griefs and carried my sorrow. I'm leading her through this prayer. She's repeating after me. And Lord, she, I forgive my mother. She began to weep and cry. And then I led her to pray, Lord, forgive me for this bitterness that I've had in my spirit all these years. Suddenly she lifted her hands and began to speak in tongues. And she began to praise the Lord. And this woman who could not quit smoking, she walked out of that office free of cigarettes, and she has been free for eight years of tobacco. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What happened? Oh, that, that, that cigarette, that, 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 that's, just a, that's just an imitation. That, that's just a devil. That, that's just a trick of the devil to try to get you to, you know, drugs or whatever it is, trying to get your mind off of the real solution of the problem, which is Jesus, praise the Lord. Somebody says, Jesus has the answer. Well, he not only has the answer, Jesus is the answer, praise God. He is the answer to your need. He is the answer to your problem, hallelujah. Whatever your problem is, Jesus is the answer. If I can just get Jesus in my life, 
Hallelujah. If I can just turn everything over to Jesus, glory to God, everything's going to be all right. Praise the Lord. Everything will be all right in your life. Just turn it over to Jesus. little song says, smile the rest of the day. Amen. Closing, I want to tell you about what happened to me. A victim of depression, severe depression. May 29th, 1989. Two o'clock in the morning. I awakened to the jangling of a telephone. A phone call that would change the rest of my life. I reach over and pick up the phone. I say, hello, my sleepy voice. And on the other end of the line, my mother can hardly talk. She's weeping. She's crying. She says, oh, David, something terrible has happened. Something awful has happened. I said, what is it, mother? My two sons were spending the weekend with her 150-something miles away. She said, the boys were in a wreck a little bit ago. Car accident. The car turned over several times. She said, son, Mark's dead. That's my youngest son. And she said, David is in the hospital in Nacogdoches, Texas. They don't know if he's going to live or not. You need to get here as soon as you can. My whole life just goes numb. I'm crushed. I hang up the phone. I can't even cry. Can't say anything. But my wife overhears the conversation. She begins to scream and pray and cry. The girls rush in. What's wrong? Your brothers have been in a wreck. Mark's dead. David's seriously hurt. I'm laying there, can't move, totally in shock. The phone rings again. It's the deputy sheriff. He said, Mr. Fuller, we made a terrible mistake. It wasn't your youngest son that died. Your oldest son's dead, David. And we don't know if your young one's going to live or not. You need to get here as soon as you can. Thank the Lord, my our younger son did survive. But we lost our oldest son. I thought there'd never be another deer hunt in the woods. Never be another fishing trip. All the things I wanted to do, plans that I didn't get to do, was gone. And here I am, my world has fallen apart. Assistant pastor drives us three hours, weep and cry. My wife, she tries to comfort me. She was a strong one in the situation. God had warned us. She said, the Lord has told us everything's going to be all right. Just have faith. But my world had fallen apart. And here I was. I entered into a deep, dark valley of depression. Depression was my constant companion. Grief went to bed with me in the morning, and grief got up in the night, and grief got up with me in the morning. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every waking moment was filled with grief and depression. Went on for months. Got to the point where I was ashamed to cry anymore. My mother said, son, you're going to have to cry, quit crying and be strong with your family. So I'd wait till I got in the shower every day, turn the shower on. I'd, I'd weep and cry. Nobody could see me. Went along for several months. And I remember one day I was driving along in my car. I turned the radio on, the Christian radio station. It was a men with my program. And I heard people calling in with their problems. I wasn't paying any, really any attention to what they said. And I heard the lady call in from Canada. And they asked this lady, said, ma'am, what's your problem? She said, I'm mad at God. And they said, why are you angry with God? Well, my 14-year-old daughter was stricken with a rare disease, and we prayed and fully expected God to heal her, but God didn't heal her. And my daughter died, and I don't know why she died, and I'm mad at God. And I'm a preacher. And I'm thinking, man, those psychologists, Christian psychologists, they're going to tell that woman, woman, you better repent. How dare you to be angry with God? You can't be angry with God. I thought I just knew the sermon I was going to preach this woman. But I was quite surprised and shocked when these good men said, Ma'am, that's all right. God understands. He still loves you anyhow. You just need to go to the Lord and tell him, God, I'm angry with you. Help me with this anger. Help me with this problem. I don't know why my daughter died. So I turned off the radio. Suddenly I knew what was wrong with me a Pentecostal preacher for many years, I didn't know it until that moment. I am angry at God. And I say, Lord, I am angry with you. Had I said that before then, I would have thought, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you heard the story of Korah in the Bible? 
the earth opened up and they were swallowed up into hell? I would have thought that's what would happen to me. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get my point. I said, Lord, I'm angry with you. I don't know why this accident happened. I don't know why you allowed my son to die. I don't want to be angry, but I am. Quite the contrary of feeling the chastisement and judgment of God. I felt something totally different. I've been in wonderful services, heard great preaching, heard wonderful choirs, been in services, 20,000 people where people praising the Lord, but I've never in all of my life felt more the love of God than I felt at that point where I admitted to God my problem. Lord, I'm angry with you. I don't want to be, but I am. Will you please help me? I felt like the Lord just reached down and almost literally put his arms around me. I could just almost feel it physically. I, it was so close. And I, I felt like he was just whispering in my ear. And I, I felt like the Lord was saying, that's all right, son. I know you don't understand. Just trust me. Trust me. God doesn't ask us to understand him all the time. But he does ask us to trust in him. And I just wasn't trusting in the Lord. Tears began to flow down my face. This is not tears of grief anymore was tears of healing when I admitted I've got a problem. The first step for healing is to admit I've got a problem. Are you depressed? You blamed it on what somebody's done to you years ago maybe or just recently? All the reason I'm not happy anymore, I tell you, you you know my situation, you know. No, I tell you why. You're depressed because you've been hurt and you haven't let it go yet. You have to release that person who wronged you. Let us stand right now. The night before my son died, I was working on a message that I never did get to preach. I was going to preach to my church on Sunday morning, and I closed my Bible and put the notes in my Bible. I was going to tell my church the next morning, bad things are going to happen to you in life. When they do, don't become bitter. God wants to make you better. What's going to be your response? Bad things happen. Are you going to react? You going to become bitter? Or are you going to be a better? Are you, is, it, is, is your problems, is it going to be a stumbling block? Or is it going to be a stepping stone? I intended to ask my church that question. But suddenly when I got that phone call that night, hour or two later it dawned on me. God gave me a message I never did get to preach because that message was for me. I did get bitter for a while, but the Lord healed me. I had a little poem I was going to read to the church the next morning. I found it somewhere. It goes something like this. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way. But left me none the wiser for all that she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. Ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. I learned more about God through my heartache than any other time in my life I can stand here tonight and tell you his grace is sufficient his grace is sufficient for every need hallelujah oh praise God let's just lift our hands to the Lord and praise him right now thank you Jesus thank you Jesus glory to God in the blessed be the name of the Lord Cast your care upon him right now. Cast your care upon him, for he careth for you. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus, right now, praise God. Just tell the Lord, Lord, you see this person that hurt me. Just go ahead and tell him. And speak their name to the Lord. Lord, you see how I was hurt. This is what they did to me. Tell the Lord what they did. You don't have to say it out loud. Lord, I've borne this hurt. God, I've carried it. I didn't know I was in a prison, but I want out. Lord, I forgive. I forgive this person. Call their name. Lord, help my faith. Increase my faith. And Lord, forgive me of harboring bitterness in my heart. And Jesus, come into my life. Be Lord of all. Praise God. I see over this congregation, God is ministering to people. Praise the Lord. God wants to fill some with the Holy Ghost. God wants to heal some old hurts. There are some old hurts 
that some of you hold on to for a long time, it's time to let them go. It's time to release them. It's you that's hurting that person who wronged you. They've gone on with their life. They've probably forgotten all about it. But tonight, if you'll just cast your care upon the Lord, praise God. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, let this be your night of a spiritual, physical, emotional healing. Oh, would y'all sing, for the presence of the Lord is here. As we praise Him, glory to God. Oh, it is Jesus. Yes. Sir, the Lord's dealing with you. Praise God. Lay it on the altar of God. Cast your care upon Him right now. Would you just begin to make your way down to the front? Come on. If you're hurting, come on. If you've got hurt in your life, come on. Praise the Lord. If you've been wrong, come on tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you might need a little help. Some of us would be willing to pray with you. Probably come by and lay hands on you. Come on, praise the Lord. Let Jesus touch you. Let Jesus bear your griefs. You've borne it long enough. Let Jesus bear your sorrows. You've borne it long enough. You've carried it long enough. Or you've tried to carry it long enough. It's time to let Jesus carry it. Let Him carry that heavy load. It's too big for you. It's too heavy for you. Lord, I'm going to cast it upon you. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to put my care upon you tonight, Lord. I'm going to leave out of here without my burden. I'm going to leave it. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the healing flowing in this service tonight. There is healing that's flowing in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's right. God is moving. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to ask the ministerial staff to help me pray with folks. Praise God. Pastor, myself, other ministers, glory to God. In the name of Jesus, would you please come? Let's all, if you don't have needs in your life over this kind of situation. You can help us pray for these folks. You can help us pray for these that are here tonight. In the name of Jesus, glory to God. Let's reach out. Oh, hallelujah. That's the Spirit of God you're feeling right now. That's the presence of God tugging at your heart right now. Praise the Lord. The name of Glory to God. Glory to God. Yes, Lord. Amen. God is giving you a healing touch right now. That's right, sister. God's giving you a healing touch. That's right, brother. God's touching you. God's healing you right now. Just like someone who is lame is being healed in their limbs. You're being healed in your emotions. You're being healed in your spirit. That spirit that was crushed, God is healing it right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 